Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's one minute past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And at the outset, I would like just to wish everybody a Chag Samach coming up for Shavuot tonight. Hope everybody has a great time, enjoys the wonderful food. Um, importantly also to enjoy the atmosphere, to enjoy the Torah learning that everybody's going to do tonight. Um, for those of you who don't know that tonight it is a custom to stay up the whole night and uh, prepare for the giving of the Torah tomorrow because we're going to read the Ten Commandments in Shul tomorrow and it's a custom to stay up and learn. It's usually a very fun-filled evening with lots of activities involved, um, arranged in many, many Shuls and people hang around and people come. There's programs for youth and there's different uh, lectures and shurim going on. So please be in touch with your Shul and make sure that you participate in this really, really wonderful Yontif and most importantly that you are in Shul tomorrow morning to hear the Ten Commandments, I say it's a debrot, it's a commandment to hear them tomorrow. So just check with your local shul what time they're laning and make sure you're there on time. And there's always a bonus that there's definitely a mulch kiddish afterwards. So uh, there'll be cheesecake and all the wonderful delicacies that are the custom to eat on Shavuot afterwards. Um, and at the outset, I'd also like to say that even though this is a business show, um, we do discuss things that... Are for the benefit of the community, and therefore I'd like to dedicate the show to the complete and full refer of the youngster Yechaim Zev Ben Nicole Elizabeth. He should have a complete refuah shlema, and him and his family should only know good things going forward. And once again, thank you to the entire community who've all come together just to show our unity at this challenging time for for this particular family. And it's just amazing to see how when the community is needed, everybody comes together. And it's just been very, very overwhelming to see the support. And please, God, we shouldn't have to come together for negative things and only for positive things like the reading of the Aserita Dibrot tomorrow. Right, to get to the show, one thing we know about South Africa is that we are a water-scarce country. If you had to look at South Africa from a satellite image, one thing you would not do is you wouldn't settle in most of the country because there's very little water. Second thing you wouldn't do is you wouldn't come here with your tractor and plow. You'd go a little bit further north, maybe a little bit past Zimbabwe, um, maybe a little bit east or west to Angola or to Mozambique. That's where the rich, fertile soils are, the flatlands, the floodplains. Uh, we, we just weren't designed by the good man upstairs for good agriculture, yet agriculture is a, it was a major part of our economy. Today it's a small part of our economy, but one thing we are going to have going forward is deflation in in um, in foodstuffs. Foodstuff prices are going to come down. We've already seen that. I was sat with a panel of uh, economists yesterday at the Financial Planning Summit and one thing that came through very strongly is that the good harvest of maize, especially, especially that we've had, is going to pull through into the economy and that should stabilize inflation if anything um, it should stabilize and at best it should definitely feed through to a lower cost of maize which should just lift the burden slightly on those who consume a lot of maize which are farmers and those who are the most poor in our communities where, where maize is the staple but Together with that, we've got a very erratic and un- inconsistent rainfall pattern in South Africa. We've got two different rainfall patterns, as we know. We've got the half-fold rain pattern, which happens in the summer, and we've got the Western Cape um, rainfall pattern, which happens in the winter. 
Now, theoretically, it happens in the winter. It hasn't happened last year, and it happened, hasn't happened yet this year. There were a little bit of showers last week, but nothing to, to, to get us going, and the Western Cape is in serious, serious need of rain. But I think I've said more than my fault, because in the studio with me is Nick Tandy, who's from SWPN, which stands for Strategic Water Partners or Network in South Africa. Nick, welcome to FM. Thanks very much, Avi. Great. Nick, you can just bring yourself forward to the mic or pull the mic to you, whatever you're more comfortable with. Nick, let's start off by just understanding who you guys are. I'm very happy to say we have interviewed you before, and that interview has been played actually quite a few times, and I've had some... I had really good responses from it because oh, that wonderful lady you had in the studio. Yeah. I, I remember, I know her name is Shaw. What is her first name? Vicky Shaw. Vicky Shaw. That was a wonderful interview. So we're very happy to have you guys back. Tell me a little bit about you, a little bit about your organization and uh, what you guys do. Thanks very much, Avi. So we're a partnership between um, the public sector, the private sector and civil society that really came together in 2011 to address, you know, we have this rallying point that we say we want to close the water gap, the gap between water supply and demand. And the projections that we have are that by 2030, there will be a 17% gap between what we have available in terms of water and then what is demanded by industry, what is demanded by uh, domestic uh, water users and what is demanded by agriculture. And so the word gap freaks me out. How big is it? So that's a 17% gap. And if we were talking volumetric-wise, that's um, about 2.7 billion cubic meters of water. Okay, so that's like this beyond my mathematical calculations. But the bottom line is that there's going to have to be an arbitrage. We're going to decide who is not going to get. Um, That's one solution um, if we get to the gap. The other way to do it is can we at least try to close down that gap a bit. If we close it down, say, from the 17% that's currently projected to, say, 5%, and then um, the arbitrage would be a little less uh, painful, let's put it that way. Uh, uh, Nick, one thing we saw now with this whole shenanigans that are going, that's going on at ESCOM is that when you strip it away, it wasn't as brilliant as by Brian Malefi walking in with a magic wand and, you know, just sprinkling magic fairy dust over ESCOM and Load shedding stopped. It was a series of factors that led to the fact that load shedding stopped. The reason I'm bringing that up is that one smelter shut down, and that really eased the demand for electricity. Do we have a similar scenario in water where there are major consumers of water? If we just manage them more economically or efficiently, that would lift the burden on everybody else? Perhaps there is. Uh, at least in the near term. So um, two users come to mind. You may have seen recently in the news that um, the water losses that we have in municipalities, especially in South Africa, amount to about 7.2 billion rands a year. So um, if you take that again as a volume of water, uh, just a little over, I think, uh, 1.5 uh, billion cubic meters of water. And the point there is there is water being lost through leaks, um, uh, you know, burst pipes, etc., that we can um, put an investment in. Of course, some money is needed. But if we plug that, you know, we have less being demanded from the municipal systems, and then we potentially free up some water. So there's one good starting point there, and it requires a little less investment than the other options that we have. Which are? 
which are, for example, uh, desalination, which I think Cape Town very soon will have to be looking into. Very energy intensive, very capital intensive. But you really want to start where the least money gives you the best results. You know, Nick, it's, it's just so true. Just as a simple example, we were very lucky that in our area, literally a three-street suburb, the roads were retarded. I, I don't know why, but we're not complaining. And I was just driving. My son who just got his learner's license. And he says to me, it's just so beautiful to drive on this road. And I said to him, it's a simple thing. The efficiency of having an efficient road where you're not avoiding by potholes, where you're not swerving to avoid obstacles, just makes your life that much easier. And I was just trying to work it. I was quantifying it in an economic sense. The fact that there's no potential loss to tires. There's no potential loss, therefore, to work hours because I have to get it fixed. There's no frustration, and therefore, I don't behave. A simple efficiency in one area has an incredible knock-on effect, but an inefficiency has the same knock-on effect in the negative. And all we need to do is fix it. I I was, the other day, I was... um, But a couple of months ago, I was in Pretoria North at the municipal buildings. I was there to do a presentation. And I heard the lady on the phone who's the head of water and sanitation. um, And I could just see by the look on her face that she was being disingenuous on the phone. When I put the phone down, I said to her, look, what was that all about? She says, the clown's got a valued crop. We fixed this drain, this, um, this connection to his house five or six times. And we'll keep fixing it. But we don't have the spare that we need to correct it. So we're just plugging the hole. I said, so why don't you just get the spare or get the, because we don't have budget. So well, get the client to pay it and just put it in. And she said, it doesn't work that way. We can't. And I just thought there's an inefficiency where in the long term, they're going to pay so much more than just getting it fixed. Nick, if you don't mind, let's take a quick break. I'm getting a bit of an angry controller here. We'll be back with you in a moment. Avi on money. 12 to 1 p.m. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 12 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And we are talking water. It is the one resource in any country that is absolutely crucial. And in the studio with us, we have Nick Tandu, who is from SWPN, which stands for Strategic Water Partnership Network of South Africa. Nick, tell us a little bit more about SWPN, what you guys are doing, and who you're partnering with. Right. So we've brought together a wide range of stakeholders, but the new thing that is quite new, innovative that we're doing is the private sector are getting much more heavily involved. So we're talking large water users from food and beverages, uh, mining and petrochemicals, um, as well as uh, people in the food retail space, for example. And the idea here is business faces a real business risk because of interrupted supply of water. So they've come to the fore together with government and civil society to develop solutions that have public-private partnership um, benefits. And so that's what we're really about. We test these solutions. We put them out to market. We go and look for new ones, and we keep doing that. So give me an example of a initiative that you've done or that you've heard of that you're testing at the moment. So quite interestingly – We have just rolled out recently something called the water administration system. And this is a system to manage irrigation water that was developed with funding from the Water Research Commission of South Africa, a public entity, but up until now hadn't found sufficient traction in the irrigation sector to reduce the quantities of water that we think are significant. So 
We took that and started rolling that out to a variety, to a diversity of irrigation schemes in South Africa. I can say to you now, over the past two years, we have consistently, on an annual basis, saved an amount of water that is about half of what Nelson Mandela Bay uses every year. And that kind of saving um, was made possible by bringing together the range of different organizations that are needed to make a proven technology work in terms of its business model. Going into the future, we foresee that, say, food retailers, we foresee that uh, irrigation schemes and the farmers themselves, having seen the benefit, will start to invest in this more, and then it will become not only a self-sustaining business, but I've just talked as well about the water results that that gives us. South Africa, in South Africa, 60% of water is goes to, to agriculture. In irrigation, about 30 to 40% of water is lost through inefficiencies. The system is doing good work, and that's just an example of what a collaboration does. Okay, a little bit more. What did what was actually done in order to bring the consumption down? Right. So typically, in an irrigation system, if you were a farmer uh, um, uh, out in say the Falats in the Northern Cape, in South Africa's largest irrigation scheme, every Thursday you would walk out with your sleepers, put in a water order. This is the amount of water that I need after you've done your calculations. Put it by your letterbox. Water bailiff comes around with a bike, collects yours, collects mine, collects many others, computes those. And then decides at the, at the level of the irrigation scheme, how much water do I release at which parts of the canal, right? Some errors are, you can imagine that this, this is a very error-driven uh, way of doing things. For one, the computation could have errors and those could continue and become systematic. Because if you... If I deliver less water to you than what you wanted, you may overcompensate in the order that you make next time. Uh If I get into trouble with you for delivering less water, I would rather deliver more and be safe than I deliver less. So the combination of errors in calculation, the combination of overcompensation because of previous mistakes, etc., etc., there's always an over-delivery of water using that manual system. Now, With this water administration system, what you have now is you and me as farmers have a computer in our house. We know what we want to order. It's the exact amount that we order. Immediately, it's registered into a system and a portal, and it's calculated uh, that the calculation is automated. And some work is done by an irrigation engineer to actually make some detailed calculations that if you get this volume, this is how much you have to release. Um, and that release takes account of the fact that the water is being released from a certain distance. How much do you have to release in that distance to take care of some losses that are unavoidable? Um, and then it tries to be as real time as possible. You know, if I can use a very illustrative, almost animated uh, example is maybe between the time that you ordered your water and the time that's delivered, um, it might have rained. Right. You know, so this automation, this real time delivery of the water, that alone has been shown in some cases to cut down these losses by over 30%. But it took capital and initiative to get it up and running. Exactly. There was a new engineer employed. Yep. There was mechanization that was put into place. There was valves. There was pumps. Yep. There was computer systems. Yep. And one thing that I, that I, I constantly emphasize in South Africa, it's not that we don't have money. We've got right. plenty of money. Right. It is it being used correctly. Right. The volume of money lost on leakage from municipal um, systems that you said earlier on. Right. Is enough money to basically educate every child in Gauteng for free. Right. 
And it's just a matter of getting it right. Okay, so that, that's one example. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. And I think it was Avis. I don't know if it was here or internationally. And I see you smiling. Maybe you know the story. Where instead of washing their cars in open bays, yeah, <clears throat> they started washing them in, they created like plastic tarpaulins and a drainage system. So you could spray as much as you want, but all the water was contained. Right. It went into a drain. It was filtered. It was cleansed. And it was repumped. Yeah. I don't know the percentages, but they obviously cut their water volume down, their, their new water volume intake tremendously because they were recycling. But it took a tremendous capital outlay to build the system, number one. And most importantly, it took someone with a bit of forward thinking to go to the board and say, guys, I need X amount of budget because I don't want to waste water. And even if the, the – I, I don't know, but I imagine the board said, but the cost of water is negligible. We, we, it doesn't, if, if it doubles, it won't affect our bottom line. And it's going to motivate it not from a fact of a profit or loss scenario, but from a correct to-do scenario, what's right for the environment. Have I got the story right? Yeah, pretty much. I think so. And, and, and you know, if, if, if I may just jump in there, I mean, I think, you know, you, you could draw this picture um, also potentially for our large industries. And these are some of the things that we're starting to talk about now. You well, know. Let's talk about that in, uh, in in the next 30 seconds. Let's take a quick break. Um, please get your SMSs through to us at 34519, or you can give us a call on 074-654-7335. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a moment. Avi on money. 12 to 1 p.m. Only on 101.9. Hi, FM. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's exactly 20 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's an announcement, especially for the ladies. Are you bored with your regular exercise routine? Well, Nick, I, I suppose that's assuming that most ladies have regular exercise routines, which they should. The thump, yeah. thump, thump as your feet hit the treadmill and your knees and the painful knees after the workout, it's time to consider BounceFit, an exercise class conducted on giant trampolines. If you are interested in being part of the Sky FM BounceFit Ladies Challenge, then you can email the lady herself. Kathy, let's try that again, Kathy at chaifm.com for details. So if you want to take part in this giant trampoline bounce fit ladies challenge, please email Kathy at chaifm.com for more details. Nick, just before the break, we spoke about certain big industries yeah. that use water. We've already discussed agriculture. Um, and just funny enough, I was watching an entrepreneurial show a, a while ago, and there was a particular farmer who came up with a contraption and he needed funding. And when I looked at it, you could just look at it and you could see exactly what was going on. The panel that he was asking for money for had nothing to do with farming. But they looked at it and really what it was, it was a piece of plastic, cheap, um, reusable. So in other words, if it broke, big deal. It wasn't like major. And it simply fitted over the plant. And what it did is it increased the surface area of rain capture. So it had like a lip that came out the side, and then it had funnels with troughs that that directed the water to the plant itself. So you had a greater capture of water. You had no wastage because the water was going directly into the plant, and it also had a capacity that when the soil became saturated, it sort of, it sort of held the water back until it was allowed to release more slowly. And he got the funding, was asking for $4 million dollars, he got it immediately. 
Right. Because it just made sense. Right. And uh, I suppose you've got to be a farmer to, to, to sit and work that out. <laughs> right. But yeah. um, when it comes to big industries, where are you guys involved and where are areas that could save? Right. So um, <clears throat> big industries offer, you know, the opportunity that, you know, where you have a funding gap, where we ended when we were last talking, you were talking about all these things, these innovations, they need money. Right. If you're sitting in a municipality and you had this idea, we've got these water losses, we'd like to plug them. That, that's a, a um, you can do that by reducing pressure, uh, fixing leaks, etc. There's a capital investment or some kind of budget that's got to be mobilized before you get the benefit. If you had the idea, and by the way, such a project exists in Durban, that hang on, we've got our wastewater effluent after it goes through a wastewater treatment plant going out to sea. If we brought it back, treated it, we might sell it to an industry in our municipality. That happens right now in Durban. And this water is sold to the Mondi, Mondi Paper Company. And it's a huge project that was financed that way. So you might face the obstacle that um, you've got a budget that's got competing needs and that project may not arise. But what we have now happening, which is what we're trying to scale out, is what we see in Durban, what we see in Rustenburg, for example, with the platinum mines, where the project itself becomes what's fundable and can attract financing from a bank. So the way you would present the project then is this project is a bankable project in itself because in a period of 10 years or period of 15 years, the amount of capital required to build that wastewater treatment plant is going to be paid off from the revenue that is acquired from, say, a big, large industrial water user paying for that treated water. And that just takes two things. It takes initiative and foresight, and it takes capital. And when you're talking about platinum mines, they usually are not short of either. Um, you know, my dealings with them have really been at the very, very forward thinking. And uh, they are, are economical in the sense that they, they're really profit-driven. Um, and let's not talk about p- politics now when it yep. comes to that. It's a different, uh, different chapter altogether. But uh, it's just phenomenal how what I thought we would talk about is how to save, where to cut down. And really what you're talking about here is if we just take the status quo and instead of putting a line on the end to infinity – you just bend that line back into the system, put a little bit of gray matter and money into the mat, and all of a sudden it becomes a closed system that is almost self-sustaining. Indeed. And I think for all our coastal cities, we should do a snapshot study to see is there potential to do this. It's happening in Durban. Um, I think right now in uh, Richards Bay, they're considering that. Uh, there could be a couple of uh, others where it's bubbling under and they're thinking about it. But this should be done on scale. Will you just go to all the coastal cities and all the coastal towns and just take a look? Does this make sense? Um, and potentially as well in Cape Town where we have the drought. So that's something that's needed. That's part of the work that we are doing. And we have the advantage that by knowing where, for example, industrial water users are because they are partners, by knowing where their mines are because they are partners, perhaps that's also a starting point. So besides the coastal cities where the sewage goes out to sea, another example where there's a big potential to be, to be looking at this because it only makes sense if it's financially cheaper than another source of water. Correct. 
the other points, the other sort of locations where it makes sense is, say, um, take the Northern Cape. We've got some mining going on there. I think it's, um, it's iron ore mining in the, in the Northern Cape. You take some water over quite a long distance in pipes and you use energy. And then when it gets there, you should not lose the opportunity to reuse it. It doesn't make sense. Correct. It doesn't make sense. And these are some of the opportunities that we're scoping and we're trying to catalyze that they happen faster than just organically. And, and that's sort of our vision. Nick, you're constantly talking about we. Um, what I want to understand is um, SWPN obviously has partners in business and partners in big business. Would you consider government, and I'm not talking about local municipalities, would you consider government to be a partner? Indeed. And and maybe if I should admit that one of the lessons that we've learned since our establishment in 2011, uh, working mostly with national government, was um, the missed opportunity to work much closely with local government. Right now, it's my belief at least that um, that's where the opportunities for these kind of measures are. That's where the opportunities for reuse of treated water to be supplied to industry are. That's where the opportunities to save water are. The, the reason I'm asking that is I agree with you because you know, to get things done, you need to go to local. But if you haven't got the buy-in from the top, you've always got this bottom-down, a bottom-up approach where I, you know, I, I haven't got authorization or it hasn't been passed. or you know. But if you've got the minister at the top saying, yes, this is our partner, you are free or, or are we happy for you to work with them, then you've got a green light and then you can go and target the particular areas. That, But I'm not here to tell you how to structure your organization. You've obviously done that correctly. Um, but the most important thing is that if you have buy-in across the board um, – Nick, what I'm hearing from you and what is very encouraging, and this is something that I repeat over and over and over again, um, I get in the car and I listen to a particular radio station because I, I'd like to know that in my half an hour drive in the morning, I've sort of got a overview of what's happening in our country and what's happening politically because that's quite important. So then when I make decisions during the day, they're based on current events. Again, something that came out from the Discovery Financial Planning Seminar yesterday was that um, political, political noise as much is really being ignored. You know, it's not being factored in, which is quite an interesting thing because I think we've just got so much noise at the moment that businesses just said, look, you do what you need to do. We're just going to focus and keep going forward. And, and that's something that I'm really picking up from you is that there's so much good and there's so much positive that's happening. And the shenanigans that we keep hearing about, one is to be aware of, otherwise you're living like an ostrich with your head in the sand. But you guys have really said, okay, well, that's all good and well, but that's not where we dance. That's not our playing field. Our job is to work directly with water and to get it done. Um, do you have the buy-in of the local municipalities, though? Now, interesting question there. Um, in terms of, you know, just the intent to work together, that's there. You know, so if you look at our brochure, for example, that I brought, you know, we've got, um, city of Twane, we've got city of Joburg, we've got the uh, uh, sort of Salga, the association as well in there. So that intent is there. It's very strong and the participation is very strong. Here is where perhaps, um, we've got an opportunity to unlock some value. A lot of the time, the discussion we have about water, let's take, for example, this 17% gap that I talked about. That's assessed at national level. Right. 
the real crisis or the challenges happen at local level. Now, finances are split through the Division of Revenue Act between national and local. If you haven't yet identified where the budget spend is going to be for anything that you're trying to design, it could be that you're knocking on the wrong door. So, for example, if it's going to be wastewater treatment plants that are going to do reuse like we talked about, you have to partner with the municipalities. A lesson that we learned over time, but now we're getting that work done. You know, if it's water losses, the same. Only when you're talking large bulk infrastructure does it make sense then to engage a little bit more closely with the government. So, a typical uh, 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 sort of example to show you where sometimes the breakdown in the system happens is we've got massive good studies that have shown, you know, what the projections are for supply and demand and what should be done. Cascading those to the actual actors that spend budget. That's where the challenge is. And now we've started to bring in these municipalities because I think that's where a lot of the value that we have to unlock is going to be at. And that's where the operations of our partners from the business side are also located. I, I find that so interesting because that's really what it what, what it boils down to. I mean, Nick, just to share with you, a, a few years ago, I was involved in trying to get a project up in the Kharankua area. Um, a lot of the staff then went and worked at Tabanchusan. I think that's where it was. And they have a local issue with their teeth called, and I think the term is fluoridosis, where there's so much fluoride naturally in the water that it stains their teeth brown. And it almost as looks like they were naughty children who didn't brush their teeth enough when they had braces because they got these lines across the teeth. That usually wouldn't be a problem. But when you're dealing face-to-face in, in, the, um, in the service center where you are dealing with people in hospitality and your teeth aren't sightly, it's, it's a bit of a problem. And what they're trying to do was nip it at the source. Um, and I remember going backwards and forwards and backwards together with Vitz Dental School. And where the whole thing came unstuck is that there was just no willingness from local mayors to see this project through in the long term because it really had no direct tangible benefit. So big deal. I mean, uh, want to build toilets, build toilets. You want to build give potable, potable water plants, do that. But this project, it, it has an intangible benefit that's only really going to be seen many in the next generation coming through to the workforce. And I just found that at the time a little bit sad. And I, I then sat down with the group that we were working with, and it was also explained to me that you've got to see things through the eyes of local communities. This is something that is not necessary for the welfare of people today. They are more worried about young girls having sanitation at school. They're more worried about teachers not having to drive home to go to the bathroom and take, uh, you know, 15 minutes there and back out of school time, etc., etc. Those are the urgencies. And this is, yeah, it's a nice idea, but it's more of an esoteric project. It's not something tangible now. Um, when, we, when we talk about water savings. Let, let's bring it down more more locally because I see it's coming through on the SMS line. You know, people are asking, we know irrigation at home and we know showering with a bucket and all that. Da, da, da. But on a sustainable basis, what can people do at their homes? What can people do at work? How can people influence their community? Where do we start over there? And 
let's not be politically correct here. Let's maybe split this a little bit and talk about those people living in areas around the studio over here. And then maybe those people living in more informal settlements where the, the luxury of running water doesn't exist. Um, and, you know, water saving is almost like absurd because we don't have enough to get through the day. So what is there to save? How, how do those two, how can we drill down into those two and, 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 and add some value to the listener? Thanks. You know, um, quite a challenge you've given me there because, you know, uh, I was talking about the macro stuff where we're mostly involved. But um, just a couple of reflections, you know, you know, I also, you know, participate here and there in the uh, World Water Week and other sort of uh, gatherings where you gather some ideas that are quite interesting coming from different places. So the one thing that I think, say, for example, the center where we are based here can do um, before we get to household level is the first thing is just to understand what it is that you're using. If you don't know that. And if you don't measure that and have no idea what it is, you actually won't know when it fluctuates, when it goes up and down, because one might argue, perhaps, you know, for some users, water is not yet uh, priced to reflect its scarcity. So put a measurement device and just from that measurement, you know, I'm coming from a meeting with a partner. They just did that. And just from understanding every time and saying what it is they used on a monthly basis, the behavior changed. So that's one thing that can be done and done affordably these days. It can be done for a center. For a household, perhaps it's a, it's a little less um, uh, easy. But uh, I have a colleague at um, the TCTA, one of the state entities, that said perhaps this should come in as part of financial education, that perhaps financial services providers – um, should start uh, putting in water there. And, and, and then, uh, of course, what that would need is concomitant uh, price that reflects scarcity. And then, only then, do people sort of start to see it as a resource that you can't, that you can't waste. I've heard that there are neighborhoods now with apps for security. Maybe we can think about that as well, you know, just to report, you know, leaks, etc. And, um, you know, crowdsource the, the pressure you know, to the city that this area needs attention. That's one possibility. In the more informal settlements, um, you know, there's there's a real challenge there um, in that uh, a lot of, say, uh, household fixtures, etc., are not fixed um, precisely because uh, if, for example, you're getting something called free basic water, which is an allocation of six kiloliters per family, uh, per household that you could get uh, without having to pay, something that is re- being reviewed, um, you know, it could be that um, one unintended uh, sort of consequence is that uh, when you get sort of leaks on your property, etc., you know, you're not that incentivized um, because of that system or because you just haven't been paying your bill to, to fix those leaks. There, I think, there's an opportunity for the youth in those areas. And we can do this through schools to start taking some action. So you may have heard there's something on the government side that's happening called the War and Leaks Program. We've been discussing with some of our partners, how do we support these trainees, these trainee plumbers? Artisan trainees. Yeah, exactly. Maybe to develop some kind of small-scale enterprises in the communities where they come from. And we could even... To kickstart the process, you know, to get over that hurdle that you talked about, that the problem doesn't seem immediate enough for, for people to take attention. We actually have plans now to look into how we kickstart that through our partners so that they're supported to start doing this work. It starts off perhaps being free, that they just go inside the households, 
and they just go and fix this uh, pipes and 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 um, and put in washers, etc. Because by the way, if those people are not paying, the city of Joburg is losing money in any case. So there's really a good business case there, and through discussions with our partners in the city and and um, and private partners, etc., and the government, these are some of the things we have on the table for this year to implement it. I just want to pick up on one point, and I'm trying to think about it across the spectrum, and that's just being aware. We do not know. Well, let's talk. I have no clue how much water I use. I know what it costs because I see the bill. And the figures of my consumption, are they're irrelevant. I don't even calculate them. I don't even calculate them to check that the rate is right. Because as so long as I can afford the bill, the usage is not important. To put it in perspective, when we had load shedding, a friend of mine sat down and calculated. To boil a full kettle costs 50 cents. Right. And from that day on, every time I touch this thing, I think... You know, that's 50 cents. Right. And, you know, we were told before, make sure you fill the kettle that so you're not selfish, that the next person can also have a hot. Now you only boil what you need. So the whole mindset has changed. If I'm aware and cognizant of what I'm actually wasting, then, you know, just by the mere fact that I know, you know, I, I turned around to the guy who, who, who looks after my garden and all that, and I said to him, please stop using the water to wash the, the driveway, and we've got an electric blower, please use it. And his answer was, it doesn't give the same result. And I said, big deal. I appreciate yep. that you really want to deliver a beautiful product. Yep. But if you think about this, people who don't have anything to drink, and we literally got to be careful on air, wasting that water down the driveway. Indeed. And just that being conscientized about that. But again, I think that's something I discussed with, with Vicky once is that, I mean, I grew up with a lady who, you know, I don't like using the term domestic. It's my personal thing because yep. I, I don't know. I just, when I think of domestic, I think of the domestic animals. Yep. I don't know why I don't like the term, but she, she was a lot more than, than she was a phenomenal, is a phenomenal lady, but constantly heard stories that every time she went home, is that there was no water and the step of schlepping the water and getting it. And then all of a sudden, 94 came and irrigation arrived and plumbing and the water. And one day I went to visit her and there was a beautiful patch of grass with a hosepipe on it just running. I said, like, what's this? She says, no, it's watering the grass. I said, but why don't we have like a sprinkler or why don't you just... She says, no, well, ugh, let's just leave it there. I said, do, do, do you not appreciate how much you suffered... To get to this point, and now there's, a, you know, there's no sensitivity to towards it, and all of a sudden I realised, but there's no cost to it. If there's no value to it, there's no cost to it. Then why should they be sensitive? And you know, it, it's, it just came back to me. It's so easy to point figures and judge. Number one, put yourself in their position and understand a little bit where they come from. And number two is that there's got to be a consequence to a, to an action all the time. And if you don't have that then we're not going to have consciousness. But again, we're late, and uh, so we will take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It is 18, 17 minutes nearly to the hour, and we've been discussing water and the, the, the organization called Strategic Water Partners Network in South Africa. But... As I've mentioned a few times, we have a gentleman called Nick Tundi who is sitting in studio. We were just discussing off air, and Nick, really what I'd like to discuss until the end of the show is 
who is Nick Tandy? And the reason I'm asking the question is that one thing we have in South Africa is a shortage of experts in particular areas. We know there's criticism of our school system where we really churn out children that aren't maybe ready for varsity, children who aren't able to think in a certain way, and they struggle when they get to different areas. I'm a product of the old school system. I've got three kids who've gone through the new system. I don't see much of a difference, to be honest. Um, but one thing that the school does do is that Vitz comes to talk to them and all the other varsities come and agriculture and water science that's not on the agenda it's law it's medicine it's the the ba arts in certain areas and you know yet when you when you know for example my son went to camp in december and he came back and the thing that fascinated him the most was a chap who was an archaeologist not archaeologist a geologist and all of a sudden a rock wasn't a rock and all of a sudden a stone wasn't a stone and the whole environment that they were became alive by this guy's passion. And so tell me a little bit about you. And I think it's important to mention that you are a, a black chap. And, and are you South African or a Zimbabwean? I'm a Zimbabwean. And Zimbabwe. So tell us a little bit about where you were educated, where you went to school, why you did what you did, and how you ended up here adding value to South Africa. Right. So um, I, I grew up and was raised in, in, in Zimbabwe. Um, in all parts of Zimbabwe, my dad was an immigration officer, so we went from border to border, etc. And um, I always was interested in science so uh, and the environment. And the option that I had to study when I went to the University of Zimbabwe then um, that offered that was a degree program called Soil Science because it had an f- option that was heavily environmental. And there, doing my attachment, I ended up at um, a wastewater treatment plant in the capital city where they applied the sewage sludge onto pastures. And I did some research there, um, extracting heavy metals from those soils and trying to assess what are the health risks for people that ate the crops coming from that. So, so began my interest in what, uh, in this passion, you know, to do with water related stuff, wastewater treatment, uh, etc. Life in the lab became a little bit too boring because I worked in a chemistry lab. And then for my master, I studied something called socio-ecology. So it's a bit of ecology, but mostly social stuff. And that relates to some of the stuff that we were starting to talk about now, which is, for example, things to do with payment for, for, for water services. And some of the innovation in, is that, that we need, besides technological and financial, is also a social innovation. Yeah. And then um, over time, I, I realized that something cutting across the water world um, was um, issue of finance, and and I'm just now um, have decided again to do a bit of studying at the Stellenbosch Business School in development finance, and and just trying to see um, how we could then use that knowledge to develop sort of financial solutions for water infrastructure. Do you love what you do? I love it very much. I couldn't have um, a better job. Um, um, you know, I I, I think that um, if I have to say something that uh, at my expense, I have a short tension span and water is just so exciting. You know, if you look at where our water comes from, surface water is shared with other countries. That's international relations and politics. You know, then you've got to engineer it and store it and then you've got to transfer it. The water that we drink that comes from Lesotho in some parts of its journey here mixes between engineering and ecology because in some parts it actually tries to follow to the extent possible the natural ecology. So now you're talking biology and ecology, ecosystems, and then it gets here 
and then people have to pay for it. How do you price it? You know, that's finance, that's economics. And what happens when people don't pay? It's legal stuff. It's all sorts of stuff. If you have a short extension span like me and like lots of different things, this is where you should be. What would your advice be to a a youngster in high school? He or she is coming to the end of their qualification and they constantly feel drawn to the outdoors or to in other words, they don't want to do the traditional um, um, subjects that are usually stereotypically done after one finishes school. What would your advice be to that person? My, my advice to them would be, number one, um, the stereotypes of the water scientists that you see are incorrect. You know, um, and, and we've seen this, for example, with the fact that the engineering field and technical fields in water are still heavily male-dominated, for example, because they're thought of in a certain way and that pe- the picture of the person is dressed in a certain way. But if you're a young lady, you can still be the lady that you want to be, um, whichever way you want to express yourself and dress the way that you want and still be an engineer. There are many of them out there. So that stereotype has got to go. If you see a person in overalls or a person who is more a lot about concrete and water, there is a diversity of things that you can do in this field. You know, so for example, we're starting to see now people coming from investment banking, you know, to take a look at um can you build a water fund, you know, that will fund the infrastructure of South Africa in the future. How do you design that fund? So maybe you might say a shift from Santon perhaps to inner city um, uh, um, Pretoria in terms of where these people are coming from and where they're going. There's just such a diversity of things that you can do and still retain the personality of whether you like to dress in a suit or you like to be in a vest, whatever the case may be. But the opportunity is there. You just need to follow the passion. Indeed. And as I said to you, what are you? Your answer to me was, I am a scientist. And yet you're walking, you're not worried about putting a pair of boots and, and going out into the field. You're not worried about working in a city. It's, it's, it's absolutely diverse, but it is the scientific academia behind you that gives you the confidence to be able to go out and speak and give advice. And, you know, it's the practical together with the, the, with the academia that, that gives you the strength to be as confident as you are. Indeed. And if you wanted, you could always branch out. You know, there was a time, you know, I was speaking to some friends from Germany and they said hydrologists at some point were so much in demand in the finance world because they had this way of thinking that allowed them to be able to think not only equations that are static, but that have a time element. And that's what's needed in finance, you know. And so there's always room as well to diverse into other sort of uh, pieces of work afterwards. That strong foundation, you can follow it with your passion. Later on, you've got a chance to die. You can also find within the water world a lot of opportunity to then uh, go in different ways. Nick, it's been fascinating speaking to you. I'm looking very forward to having an off chat with you just now but thank you um, please send our, my regards to, to Vicky and we would really like to hear from you guys on an ongoing basis water is the, the thing that makes everything flow whether it's in the human whether it's in the country whether it's 
anywhere in the world. And we'd like you guys to be more vocal on, on air with, on, on, on this show, just that we constantly conscientize South Africa as to the importance of our resource and we look after it correctly. So everything of the best for you. Thank you for coming in and uh, thank you everybody for listening. Wishing everybody once again a, a really good, uh, Chag Samach, a good Yantif and, uh, good Shavuot. Remember to listen to the Ten Commandments tomorrow morning and we will speak to you next week.